Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 100, an interview with the godfather of history podcasting and more. A long, long time ago, before the lockdown, I launched a little competition. The competition was to find some of the most memorable lines from a history of Italy. Well, some time later, I finally, A, gotten round to deciding the winner of that, B, getting the line printed on a bit of merchandise, and C, I've almost gotten around to actually sending that merchandise off. I'm as far as getting the bubble wrap, I'm just looking for the right kind of boxes to put it in. So, congratulations, first of all, to our winner, Jeff W., for putting in the line, awaiting the great turnip. Jeff also suggested the three reasons for being naked, i.e. Number one, a symbol of renunciation of all material goods. Number two, feel hot a lot. Number three, just generally like being naked. Also, we had Sen putting in the Become a Holy Roman Emperor three-point checklist. Angela suggested what could possibly go wrong. And I was quite surprised that nobody proposed the nothing gets in the way of you reforming the papacy like your own death. I'll be sending the new A History of Italy merchandise out to Jeff as well as out to the top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level Patreon supporters whom I would like to start out by thanking very, very much. So, here we are. 100 episodes. Actually, if you put in all the extra bits and interview bits and special episodes and so on, we're over 135 episodes. Then if you start to add the Patreon content, there's up to 40 plus episodes and videos and so on, we're inching closer to 200. But this is the first time that we get to put a 100 in front of anything. We have gone from the year 476, the fall of the Western Roman Empire, to around 1300, covering around eight centuries. We have done that in almost three years of the podcast. Indeed, the podcast was launched on January the 3rd, 2018. So, on the upcoming January the 3rd, 2021, if this 2020 ever decides to end... It will be three years. Judging from how things are going, it will take another 200-odd episodes, if we get there, to get more or less to modern day. That means possibly, considering how things are going to slow down with an increased availability of sources, that it could take another six-odd years to get there. So, all in all, you may be looking at a decade of a history of Italy. I don't know if that's good or bad news for you, but let's just say it's news for the moment. So, what are we going to do today to celebrate? Well, unfortunately, nothing original or groundbreaking. But 
then again, I suppose you don't always have to be original to do something decent. So, first of all, we're going to do that whole it's our birthday but you get the presents business that you sometimes get in electronic shops and sofa shops and so on. In this case, I'm going to share with you some of my favourite podcasts to listen to and enjoy with some of their 100 episode wishes. To start with, we have seen that over the centuries, Italy has been very much influenced by the presence of a little state smack bang in the middle of the country that is a temporal state, but whose ruler also ruled spiritually over all of Christendom, and that is the papacy and the papal states. Now, obviously, when you're talking about the papacy, you cannot avoid two great podcasts. That is The History of the Papacy by Steve Guerra and Pontifax by Brie and Fry. Salute! This is Steve from The History of the Papacy, a podcast about the history of the Popes of Rome and Christian Church. I want to send my congratulations to Mike on the celebration of your 100th episode of the History of Italy podcast. That's an amazing accomplishment. Just starting a podcast is a major milestone, but sticking it out to make 100 episodes equals hours upon hours of incredibly hard work. You make it look easy, though, with one of the most entertaining and well-researched podcasts available. I sincerely applaud your effort and wish you cento anni, or maybe cento episodi. If there isn't a saying for that in Italian, well, there really ought to be. Congratulations again, Mike, and a hundred more episodes. Hello, I'm Fry. And I'm Bree, and we want to give Mike a huge congratulations on reaching a hundred episodes. If you enjoy the history of Italy, you might enjoy Pontifacts. Pontifax is a papal history podcast ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. We evaluate the popes and the papacy from a historical perspective and then rate them based on their impact on the church, their role in the secular world, how much scandal they created, what their face looks like, and more. You can find Pontifax on all major podcatchers and at pontifax.podbean.com. Happy 100th History of Italy. Felice centesimo! Then, of course... Italy's history has been influenced not only by states inside of the borders, but also by our neighbouring cousin states. And so, the next podcast I want to recommend, and wishing us happy 100th, is The History of France. Hello everyone, this is Gary Chachot from the French History Podcast, and I just wanted to give a giant congratulations to Mike and A History of Italy 100 episodes is incredible. Not a lot of podcasts do that. So congratulations, Mike. And here's looking forward to another great 100 episodes and even more. Then, of course, the land of the Borgia, of Machiavelli, of intrigue, mystery, and murder could not help sooner or later but cross paths with Assassinations Podcast. Hi. This is Neil from Assassinations Podcast here. Happy 100th episode to the wonderful History of Italy podcast. You have a really great show, which takes us all on a fascinating and fun grand tour of Italy. 
I so enjoyed our joint episodes on the Borgias. It was a real pleasure to work with you, Mike. And I'm so looking forward to journeying further with you through the history of the Italian peninsula. Well done, mate. Keep up the good work. And last, but definitely not least, we have the excellent sister podcast of A History of Italy, the Italian version, Storia d'Italia. If you know Italian or would like to try out the Italian you're learning, I really recommend you go over and listen to Marco Capelli. His in-depth research and knowledge is far greater than anything I could aspire to. Salute salve and happy birthday to A History of Italy that reached 100 episodes. Mike, I'm so jealous. I'm about 40 episodes behind. My name obviously is Marco Cappelli and I'm the host of the podcast Storia d'Italia, Mike's twin podcast, just in Italian, not in English. Mike, I wish I had your capability of being funny and at the same time deadly serious. Great job, man, and keep going. Thanks very much to all those podcasting friends who wished us a happy 100th and I wanted to share with you, although I'm quite sure that they needed no promotion since they're all excellent podcasts, as are others which I am very much in love with, such as The History of Byzantium, The History of England, Tides of History, and of course Rex Factor and Totalis Rankium. Couldn't get through my days without them. Now, I first got the idea of doing a podcast, obviously, by listening to podcasts. There was one podcast in particular that at the time was above all others and perhaps still is to this day. It was most of all The History of Rome by Mike Duncan that inspired me to become a podcaster. So I was very, very excited and surprised when Mike Duncan himself accepted my invitation to come and talk to me on the 100th episode. Before we go there, however, one last word from one of our sponsors. And now, my wonderful listeners, I have the great pleasure of sharing with you my interview with Mike Duncan, creator of the History of Rome podcast and Revolutions, best-selling author of The Storm Before the Storm, and perhaps the godfather of history podcasting. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a great pleasure and an honor, I might add. And uh, so um, the first question I wanted to ask you is, obviously many of we history podcasters look to you as a, as a model and inspiration. I mean, I know you're one of the people who uh, got me podcasting in the first place. And so we could say you're almost like the, the godfather of history podcasting. And, and do you feel a certain particular responsibility for that? Well, it's certainly not what I would have thought would happen when I started the History of Rome a very long time ago, which is, you know, in, when I started the History of Rome in 2007, I was just doing it as a hobby. It was just something for me to do. And if you had told me, oh, well, in, in 13 years, you'll be having people say, well, do you feel a responsibility as a godfather of history podcasting? <laughs> um, 
It would have been, I would have like, okay, well, that's, that's a weird thing. And where do I live? I live in Paris. Oh, okay. That's also weird. Um, but I, I'm moving into like a transition. I, I feel like I'm kind of actually in a transitional phase right now where when, when you're starting out, and when I was starting out, what you want to do and what I wanted to do was make the best show that I possibly could, um, focus as much as possible on this week's episode, making this week's episode as good as it can possibly be. And then kind of like, you know, fighting and clawing for my own position in the world and making making my shows as best as good as they could be so that lots of people would want to listen to them and growing my own audience. And that's a very sort of uh, insular uh, way to look at things. And that has served me very well. And it's it's only of late that I have actually sort of poked my head up and, and realized that there is this large uh, community of history podcasters and people uh, like like yourself who who do look at me as as an inspiration and look at me as somebody who is sort of um, was out there, uh, uh, you know, breaking new ground, as it were. And I never really thought about it that way as I was doing it. And even now today, I still am focused on what is next week's show going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, but now that I'm older, and now that I do have a position, uh, I I am starting to realize that I maybe do have responsibilities out there that that are larger than myself and larger than just making my own shows good. I don't know some responsibility to the history podcasting community in general. So I think the answer to the question is: for a long time, no, I didn't feel any responsibility. I was just so obsessively focused on my own show. But you know, now that I'm now that I'm hitting middle age, uh, you know, maybe maybe I do need to look back and be like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I, actually, I, I, actually, I actually am something out there in the world. That's that's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, you know, congratulations for that as well. So we could say step by step, episode by episode, it has been uh, so far. Then, and yeah, you, I, you... I have always and I'm always just focused on what um, making this week's episode as good as it can be. So you mentioned that the podcasting community in particular, say that the history podcasting community, and how do you see sort of the current podcasting scene specifically, obviously history, which is our sector, but maybe more in general? I mean, um, are we doing things right? Uh, What are we doing wrong? And so on. Well, when it comes to podcasting in general and history podcasting in particular, um, I think as a medium, it's very healthy. Um, it's growing. Uh, I don't think that podcasting is going to go anywhere. It's on demand audio content. I think that there's always, uh, now going to be, uh, there's always going to be an audience for that and there's always going to be a market for it. And I think that people can and should start doing new podcasts and people are doing new podcasts. And I think we're going to talk maybe a little bit later about sort of broader trends in podcasting. But one of the things that has been pretty, uh, pretty set in stone from the beginning that I do think we need to work on is that podcasting is very um, it's very heavily dominated by men such as ourselves mm-hmm. and white guys such as ourselves um, and such as myself. And so when you look at the history podcasts that are being made out there, the people who make them and the people who listen to them skew very heavily towards this one particular demographic. And yeah, yeah. I think that the best thing and the thing that history podcasting needs to do next. And again, you, you can go back to, you know, what are my responsibilities as a history podcaster who's been out there for a really long time, who represents this demographic of, you know, a white guy with a microphone doing <laughs> narrative history. What are we doing to make sure that women are being heard and listened to and are able to make their own shows? What are we doing to make sure that uh, other marginalized uh, voices out there are no longer marginalized but become represented? Because I think that, 
you know, the white male voice is not just represented, it's overrepresented. And I don't want to do this as a thing. I don't want it to be like a zero sum game where, you know, I have to quit or you have to quit um, in order to make room for somebody else. I, you know, I don't think that that's the way it needs to work. But what are we doing to promote those voices? What are we doing to make sure those voices have a place so that the whole the whole symphony of history podcasting becomes uh, uh, much much richer because I think we just have a few instruments playing and we could use a, a lot more a whole yeah whole orchestra let's say yeah exactly. on that note maybe we could we could mention some some really great female led podcasts such as Pontifacts uh, Partial Historians uh, there's a wonderful one about Scotland uh, I think it's Stories from Scotland with with two female co-hosts so uh, there are some out there but there I totally agree that definitely needs to to be more yeah and and if you're and if you're on social media you know just hashtag lady pod squad and they hashtag lady pod squad and most of them are tagged and you can find them and they are out there and uh that's what we need to be doing great lady pod squad yes that's a that's a great tip Okay. And so you mentioned before that over the years, Mike, you've sort of uh, done episode by episode and uh, you had this, let's say, insular approach. And in all of that process, was there anything now that maybe you look back upon history of Rome, revolutions up until now, or the books, etc., and think, oh, I would have done that totally differently? Or, or are you happy with the way things played out? Well, in general, I'm happy with the way things have played out, just in the sense that it w- worked, I guess. <laughs> um, so, so what I did worked. Uh, and any time that you go back and look at work that you have done in the past, like, you know, of course, there are things that I would change or would have done differently or taken a different approach or focused on something different or um uh, you know, you see there's there's a million little things that I would change about everything that I've ever done. I think that's very true of anybody who uh, does creative work. But also at the same time, like the reason why I can look back and, and know what I would change today is because I did all that work in the past. And as you do work, you get better at the work and then you look back at the early work and you're yeah. like, wow, that, that was really crummy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also that's it was the best that I was able to do it, I think, at the time. So there are you know, there was one thing that we were just talking about the other day on uh, on Twitter, which is like, you know, a lot of the early history of Rome stuff, like the recordings are really, really bad. It's it, yeah, I think my my presence and the, the audio quality itself are quite bad. And people keep asking me, you know, are you ever going to go back and re-record it and change it? And honestly, like, I don't want to do any of that um, because, as I've said elsewhere, uh, once you start fiddling with that in the, the sort of like George Lucasy way of <laughs> constantly going back and fiddling with your earlier work and changing yeah. it. I think that there was, I think that I basically, I just feel like there's a certain charm to it and I feel like it represents who I was at the time. And I feel like, uh, if I start going back and trying to retcon, uh, the quality of the work and retcon the recordings that it, it just feels like a, a can of worms that I don't really want to open. So are there things about the history of Rome and early revolutions that I would change? Yes. Um, And mostly I take those ideas and those self-critiques that I have of myself and I try to apply it towards this week's episode. So I don't want to go back and try to improve things or change things. But I do want to, as I move forward, try to learn from those mistakes and miscues and things that I'm like, oh, God, that wasn't so great. Put them into this week's episode which is as i i said there's always the thing that's in front of me except right now i'm on hiatus so i don't actually have this week's episode to worry about and won't and won't for won't for a couple months 
but that's that's my approach to things great okay and going back to to podcasting in general uh, you mentioned before one of the things that you would like to see is an, an extension of the podcast host based uh, sort of uh, on based on gender and and uh, ethnic groups etc um is there anything else maybe that because you said that you you don't think podcasting's going anywhere are there any other developments that you see that are interesting or that worry you for example you know uh, big uh, companies big corporations getting in on the podcast scene maybe pushing out more independent small podcasts or, or, or are you fairly confident that we'll be able to to keep on going well you're just teeing me right up there um, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah it, i mean podcasting as a as a medium is is dealing with exactly the same thing that happens to every new uh, communications medium or form of entertainment is that people start creating something and uh, large corporations or just really anybody who's interested in making money will look at something that is new and say to themselves, well, how, how can I get in here and make money off of this? This is, you know, it's an entrepreneurial uh, spirit that is out there, which in and of itself isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. But over the years, you have seen the creation of podcast production companies and development companies, and then the hosting services themselves are starting to move in and carve up what used to be uh, a much more independent scene where you know you could just start a podcast, put it out there, and the algorithm, you know, the like iTunes's algorithm is of course uh, highly manipulated by a number of different factors. But there did seem to be a, a, you know, if if somebody if somebody was looking for something, they could find it, and if I was a producer, an audience could find me. And now I feel like there are significantly more middlemen involved, where they are now the ones who are deciding what kind of podcasts will be made. And they are the ones who are going to be telling the audience, these are the podcasts that are available for you to listen to. And they are coming to these decisions, not necessarily because they are passionate about some subject or because they, they want to make something creative uh, and put it out there in the world, but because they have sat down with uh, focus groups and with data and they know what is the formula that is going to have the most success rate and they are going to be able to sell advertisements to or subscriptions for and then sitting around and using that information now they are going to create formulaic shows that fit that model and work for the existing algorithms and then that is what is suddenly going to be the only podcasts that are available for people to listen to so you stop having this sort of free exchange between creator and audience you have something that is now in the middle and that I don't think is a particularly great development because I don't think that that's great for fostering creativity and fostering passion. I think that it's great for fitting into a money-making mold. Now, of course, yeah. I do this for a living, right? I so I have advertisements on my show and I have ways that people give me money. So I don't think that, you know, you, we don't, of course, want to lose that. But when that becomes the sole focus and that becomes the driving focus, I think that podcasting will lose some of its some of its verve, right? Mm. To, to put it, uh, you know, uh, you know, in that way. But and then, of course, the other bit of it that is troublesome is when you have people who are providing access to the shows, like for example, Spotify, who are also now going to be in the business of creating their own content. This now you have an algorithm that is not going to be promoting shows just because they're popular or just because people like them or just because we should be promoting them. 
they're going to be promoted because Spotify owns that show and wants you to listen to it. And this is this is the same thing that happens with, you know, with Netflix, with Amazon Prime, with and any of these streaming services that are also in the business of making the content that goes onto the streaming service. I think that that's just a recipe for eliminating independent voices and that none, none of those things strike me as particularly positive for either creators or listeners. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we need to sort of strike a a, a difficult but happy balance there between um, finding a way to make uh, podcasting worthwhile but at the same time not giving in to a predefined model, let's say. Exactly. And there's, you know, there's a real devil's bargain to it because and this is the devil's bargain that existed for you know, record producers uh, mm-hmm. start starting like after World War Two is, you know, you're you're a singer or you're in a band. Is anybody actually going to listen to your music? Are you actually go if you're Elvis Presley, is anybody going to know who Elvis Presley is without uh, Sam Phillips coming along and saying, well, I'm going to put you on a record and I'm going to uh, promote you. Right. And I'm going to provide the money and the backing and the capital that allows you to make a living off of this. That's all good. But what always wound up happening was that then the record companies and now the podcast production companies, they own the content. And ultimately yeah. the devil's bargain is we will give you money for this. You'll, we'll put you on salary. You'll get a paycheck for this, but we own the content and we own the intellectual property. And that is significant. The intellectual property is significantly more valuable than whatever it is that you're paying the host for making the show. But from the creator's standpoint, like I get to sit here and make a podcast and make some money for it. So that's a really great deal for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 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 it really is, you know, and and as you say, like we just need to figure out a way to have that devil's bargain come with certain stipulations. And I would I would love it if the intellectual property was always owned by the people who are actually intellectually making the property as opposed to the people who are simply providing the money uh, to 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 produce the show which i mean let's face it podcasting doesn't have a great deal of overhead so <laughs> you know i'm not sure that providing money to get the show out there uh should equal you own the intellectual property i think i think that creators should always own their own intellectual property yeah although the problem that usually creative people are not really big on intellectual property law and so on is not their strong point so but also yeah. in the music industry that you mentioned before you know most bands and things are, haven't got a clue about intellectual property yeah. so it's also and difficult if, in it, that and, sense and if you're being told hey you, you know we'll give you a paycheck and you get to make a podcast for a living like you yeah. know it's a hell of a lot better than probably what i you know yeah, would I have taken that deal at a certain point? I don't. I don't really know what I would have done. Um, and luckily, I never had to. Uh, I never. I, I never had to make that choice. Um, but I worked a day job for for all of the history of Rome. Um, I didn't start doing this full time until after revolutions had started. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we, we looked at the, at the past a bit now, and let's maybe look to the future, because I saw in a, in a France 24 interview that you mentioned that uh, revolutions would be finishing uh, relatively soon, let's say within the next couple of years, if I've understood correctly. And then there were three, between three and five ideas, you said, in the pipeline or on the table. Uh, is, is there any little hint about where, I mean, are they still three or five? Have they narrowed down? Any idea of what direction or is that still uh, top secret at the moment? Uh, the short answer is that is still top secret at the moment. Okay. Uh, nobody gets to know because the thing is that the three to five ideas will kind of change and morph over time. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I am going to keep 
what I do next very close to the chest. Uh, that prevents people from being disappointed that I didn't go with something else that I hinted yeah, at, which yeah. is something that has from time to time uh, come back to bite me. Um, so whatever it is I do next, just know it was it was it was always the only thing I was ever going to do. There were never any other <laughs> options. But no, but no, no hints and no, no hints and no scoops for you. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Thanks anyway for that. <laughs> okay. So, um, speaking specifically about Italian history, so, so, uh, my podcast, uh, obviously you've, you've mentioned it a bit. Oh, well, I'm, you know, you could see Rome obviously as the start of Italian history. And that's mainly why I started after the fall of the empire. Cause I said, I'm definitely not going to go back and do what Mike Duncan did because I could never do it better. And, um, so you touched upon uh, Italian history, for example, in revolutions, uh, the Carbonari, the 1820, 30, 1830, 1848, uh, revolutions, uh, the Guerra Independenza, the independence wars. And also, uh, you mentioned in a podcast on Robin Pearson's show that, um, you, I think what you said is generally sort of the Rome falls and then there's Machiavelli's, is how you put it. Uh, is there, <laughs> yeah, is there really any, fair. is there any other period in, in Italian history that has sort of uh, sparked your interest or that you'd like uh, to look further into? Well, there, I mean, there are two that are hanging out there. Um, that, but one, Okay, so first of all, I mean, we should probably just say this is that uh, obviously the rise of um, fascism is very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have intended in my career just because of the way that like the arc of my career has gone doing ancient history and then doing sort of early modern history is I have not really plunged that deeply into 20th century history uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm, I'm one of these people who will say well you know anything after world war one is um current events it's not history you know there's no there's no history going on here it's just um this is these are newsreels yeah, yeah. um but at the same time i think that as i now i'm in the russian revolution mm-hmm. and i am i i have finally breached the walls of the 20th century between the mexican revolution and um and and the Russian Revolution, like dates now start with 19s instead of 17s and yeah, 18s. Exactly. <laughs> um, that that what that what happened sort of after World War One, um, and that entire period becomes very very interesting. And I think that Mussolini and the rise of fascism uh, is an incredibly interesting thing for us to be talking about right now. And then yep. uh, on a, on a different on a, on a less sort of ominous in a, in a less sort of ominously interesting way. If you go all the way back to, as you were saying, the the fall of Rome, the, the fall of the Roman Empire, and what happened to Rome after that is I have always had this uh, li- little teeny little teeny kernel of a fascination with what Rome was like when it went from being this, um, as you know, went from being the city of a million people to being a city of whatever, like a hundred thousand people or less. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know where. What what, what what did it bottom out at? Like, what did the do you know what the population? I, well, you know, it's always difficult, but I've read thirty thousand. Okay, there you go. This is beautiful. And this is not something that I would necessarily want to – I don't know if I would want to do like a history podcast about this because it's already been well covered by the history of Italy. Um, but uh, as, a, as the setting for like historical fiction, uh, you know, 30,000 people in the former capital of a global empire uh, that is just like these insane monuments uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, you just got like shepherd – yeah, yeah, and cows and chickens <laughs> walking around exactly. the forum. And you, know, you got, you got ri- <laughs> rival rival gangs are using the Colosseum as as like a as like a base of operations. That is, I mean, that's the setting for a good a good piece of historical fiction. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's it's a very vivid imagery as well. I like it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's really great. 
Okay. Um, a bit off topic here. Have you actually been approached by anyone looking to do some sort of visual, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say TV series, but some kind of documentary or something, some, some video or, or? No, I, no, I have been approached and there have been things that have happened and there have been other things that have fallen through and things that, you know, didn't click with me and then things that I said that didn't click with them. Um, and it is something that is out there. I mean, I, I know I said I wouldn't give you any hints at all, but like, <laughs> you know, uh, a, as I move forward, I, and I, I've, I've been pretty open about this, you know, like I do have ambition to do, uh, historical fiction work. Um, mm-hmm. I do have ambition to move into, you know, movies and TV shows and documentaries either on the, um, either on the, the nonfiction side doing documentaries and, uh, or on the fiction side and, uh, doing adaptations of my work in some, way shape or form and i and i had you know i i spent a while um doing a treatment and development work for the storm before the storm mm-hmm. where, you know, I've, I've got a big you know pile of stuff i went to i went to hollywood and, yeah. <laughs> and, and pitched them on this on uh, on this epic rome series that they all, <laughs> they all said that's gonna cost us too much money yeah. uh you know <laughs> I, I don't i didn't have martin scorsese to say like no 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 it's no, fine no, yeah do it <laughs> yeah no 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 it's fine do it I'll, you know i got your back um i was just you know a podcast <laughs> guy uh but it, yeah that stuff exists out there and i would like to i would eventually like to turn some of this to, stuff to into, into, a, into a nice big uh you know epic tv show that, would be great definitely be something to look forward to then yes yeah. Cool. And, um, okay, going back to, to more, let's say, concrete projects, um, I, I saw when you, when you, in one of the presentations of uh, The Storm Before the Storm that you mentioned that uh, the, the, the dream of writing has been a dream that you've had since, since you were a boy, basically, and that really came true, you can say, because also, again, congratulations, because uh, The Storm Before the Storm is a New York Times bestseller. And um, so but did you find that maybe the passage from the podcasting aspect to the writing was sort of natural because maybe you had this huge pile of written notes that you, I mean I think at a certain point at the end you you mentioned millions of words written or, or or is it a bit more complicated than that no well I mean the the way that I backed into writing a book um is is not how I would have envisioned things going when I was you know like a teenager um, because, uh, yeah, the, yeah, being a writer was on the very, 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 very short list of things that I sort of dream jobs that I would have wanted to have. And the idea that I wouldn't have written a book book even after having written what – yeah, I think it was a million words. I mean the history of Rome between the revol- – between revolutions and the history of Rome combined, I'm somewhere over two million words um, that I've actually you know published and is out there in the world. To answer your question, sitting down and writing a book, right, after having done the history of Rome and so much of revolutions was a much easier task, right? It it didn't feel daunting in mm-hmm. a way that maybe if I had sat down and hadn't done anything. Yeah, like, blank page kind yeah, of. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Or having that many words behind me. The the writer part of my brain was very lubricated. So sitting down to write a book was was not it wasn't about getting anything fired up. I it's rare for me to just stare at a blank page and not be able to have something come out of me. Like I I don't really suffer from that Mm -hmm. because I have a weekly deadline because I have to, you know, an episode of revolutions these days is forty five hundred to five thousand words. And, but you know, before I tried to start dialing it back, I mean, they were up to fifty five hundred six thousand words a week is what I was writing. Yeah. And that was too much. And it got to got that got to be a grind. 
But uh, point being that when you have that deadline and you're writing that much constantly, you know, yeah, moving over to writing the book was just it was it was a very natural thing. And I'm somebody who, you know, I, I would try to tell this to younger writers who are coming up and it, it sounds crazy, but basically your first million or so words, right, are, are gonna are gonna be crap. And <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't start getting good. It's it really is like removing all the sedimentary layers of and and so I I would encourage people to start young and even even because most of what even my first million words a lot of it was confined to journals or just you know stories or um mm-hmm. or work that nobody has ever seen before um you know even when I started the history of Rome I had a lot of I had ten years worth of of a lot of writing behind me before I even started doing the history of Rome so having all of that behind me before I actually had to write quote unquote my first book made writing that first book I think quite a quite an easier process than um than uh, if i just if somebody just said okay write a book and has that process the storm before the storm process taught you anything that you're now applying in the writing of citizen lafayette um yeah 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 sure um because it is a different process writing a writing a podcast series which is you know week in and week out and i'm somebody mm-hmm. i'm i fly by the um seat of my pants and <laughs> i i do open up every monday morning with a blank piece of paper you know a metaphorical blank piece of paper and uh by sunday i have to have a completed episode recorded and published i don't have episodes recorded in advance i don't yeah, have any yeah. safety net um i am just flying yeah tell me about it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm and hey it works you know there yeah yeah, yeah. There, you, it's worked well i would you say gotta, you gotta have that you gotta have that fear you know you gotta yeah, have yeah, like, yeah. no margin no margin healthy there. fear healthy, healthy fear, yes yeah. healthy fear is a good thing um but when when you do that, and I, I said this earlier that you know I'm always focused on making this week's episode as good as it can possibly be. But a book is different from that in that you can get to the end of the book and then you can go back and rewrite the beginning of the book to make it a more total and complete package and sort of developing themes and currents and um, and, and properly linking things from the beginning to the end you can really make it a a book a much 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 tighter package mm-hmm. that i think goes on with revolutions and i do a pretty good job of like knowing basically where i'm going so i can telegraph certain things or i know that somebody's going to be important and so i develop them along the way and i can do some foreshadowing but you know i'm it, this is really serialized work that i'm doing and the the week that's in front of me is the thing that i'm thinking about and there, there's not a single series of um, of revolutions that, in retrospect, I wouldn't go back and uh, and change things about mm-hmm. the first couple of episodes to speak better and more completely to where the show winds up because I am just sort of picking my way um, through up a mountain pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and, you look back and say, "Well, I could have done that yeah, one. It would have yeah, been a exactly. lot easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there was an, there was an easier way to have done this. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot is a lot of what it is. Like, oh, there's a perfectly useful path right yeah, over yeah, there, yeah. and I didn't even take it. It was a um, motorway instead yeah, of a yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> sitting there on a donkey, and there's a yeah. you know, there's a tra- there's a tram on the other side. Yeah. Of the thing. Uh, but so when it comes to writing a book, you I you know I can get to the end of it, and then I can go back and I can make this. Um, I can make as I said, like a like a nice make those changes, better, and then yeah, make a nice more total package and having done that the first time with the storm before the storm which was a a, a, yeah it was a different process than writing a podcast knowing now knowing that going into uh, um the lafayette book which will give me the opportunity 
to know in advance that I'm going to be coming back to this stuff later. Um, mm, exactly. So I, I, I think they're, they're, before you actually release it to the public. Mm. Yeah, and so so there there's I think there's been slightly more uh, I've been more efficient about writing this book than I was writing the storm before the storm. And sort of as a last uh, question, I wanted to also share a, a memory with you because I remember very, very well when I listened to the last episode of, of the history of Rome, uh, 179 the end. And I was actually driving down the A1 motorway in Italy, which is a motorway that goes from Milan and eventually it changes into the A14. And so Milan once upon a time would have been Gaul. And uh, if you go down the A14, then you would cross the Rubicon. And um, and as I was listening, you you did this analysis of of the various reasons why why Rome fell. And I remember thinking very clearly, you know, as you sort of tick them off, that there were very very close similarities between the fall of the empire and the and sort of the situate some of the situations in modern Italy. Particularly, you mentioned the relationship with you know rich people in the state, poor people in the state, uh, and so on. And they're very similar, unfortunately, to some of the uh, mechanisms we have today in Italy and then obviously uh, you've done a lot of interviews in which you yourself drew similarities not not between the fall of the empire and and modern day United States but between the fall of the republic which is obviously also the 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 subject of the storm before the storm and I'm not going to ask you to go through all that analysis again but you know then 2020 has come along and uh, we've had the the covid pandemic we've had the protests uh, we have the, the the political situation there now is in the united states do you think we've now reached sort of a, a tipping point a rubicon moment in in our history my short answer to that is we don't know and nobody ever knows when you cross the rubicon i mean caesar said a lot of things the die is cast you know these kinds of things uh but he didn't say now i have crossed the rubicon because i know that this moment is actually going to be one of the seminal moments in roman history um and you see this all over revolutions every revolution that i've covered and you see this all over the history of rome is it's only in retrospect that we know what the key moments were. Um, it's only in retrospect, once we have seen the course of events, that we can go back and say, that was a particularly important event, and that was a particularly important event, and that this is beyond which there was a point of no return. Um, and I like to highlight, when it comes to the, the fall of the Republic, is, you know, I say that, I often say that Sulla is the one who, beyond which there was no coming back from mm -hmm. Sulla. Right. So it had already so, been crossed at that point, let's say. Right. So yeah. So so if it wasn't Caesar, it would have been somebody else. And it already, you know, Pompey was was up to many of the same things that Caesar was up to. And if it wasn't Caesar, it would have been somebody else. And then even you can go back to when Pompey said, "Cease quoting laws to those of us with swords." That becomes for me a really really big moment where I say, "Well, after this, I don't think that the Republic was going to be able to to ever survive in the same way, mm -hmm. despite people's best efforts." We don't know. They don't, you don't know when that moment is, when it's happening. Historical actors and people like us who are currently living through a historical moment, we don't know if this is going, if, if the waters are going to recede and things will sort of like go back to quote unquote normal. Um, we don't know if we've gone beyond a tipping point and are going to fall into something, some kind of even greater upheaval. So we just don't know. Uh, I did say the other day that, um, Certainly, the number of different things that are happening right now in the world, and particularly in the United States, 
you know, there, there are not many factors that are missing from an early episode of a revolutions series, Mm -hmm. right? When it comes to economic factors and social factors and political factors that are present preceding great tumultuous, uh, upheaval, whether it's a revolution or not, you know, who knows, but certainly when it comes to tumultuous political and social upheaval, we've got all of these things happening. We do have protests happening in the streets. We do have, um, it's really, truly in the United States in particular, this is an economic catastrophe that has been horribly mismanaged by, uh, by the national government and by many of the state governments. So you have political breakdown, you have economic breakdown, you have social strife. A lot of things have been building and building and building for years and years and years that are now starting to pop off this way and that. And of course it's all leading into an election in November that is going to be highly contested and the legitimacy of that election is already now right now being called into question. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of people are walking into what is going to be, you know, every election is the most important election in American history. Um, but we're walking into what is going to be a very, very consequential election, which a lot of people are already building narratives about how that election, whichever way it goes, that result is going to be illegitimate. And, you know, Republicans are building that case and Democrats are certainly able to build that case as well. And I have my own opinions about (laughs) who and and what is right in this uh, that we don't have to get into. But uh, just suffice it to say that many, 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 many of the pieces are in place for something crazy to happen. And then we would look back and say, well, yeah, the tipping point was was this back here. They crossed the Rubicon, you know, 18 months ago. Um, but it could also be the case that the the air gets let out of the balloon instead of the balloon popping, and then we look right. back and say, "Oh, yeah. well, this is this is another time." Because everything that is in place that um, precedes a revolution, it's not a guarantee that that revolution then happens. There are lots of different times that social and political and um, uh, and economic factors have combined in such a way that you would think, "Oh gosh, this is about to be a revolution," and then the whole thing is just kind of petered out. So, so yeah, we we don't really know in real time if this time next year something has happened and we're able to look back at this moment and revisit this exact moment and say, "Had they crossed the Rubicon at this point?" Um, then yeah, you could say like, "Yeah, of course. Look what look what happened. We know that now." Great. Well, Mike Duncan, thank you very much for coming on the show, but also thank you very much for all you've done for history podcasting, podcasting in general, and for history in general. And thank you. Uh, uh, just congratulations on your own continued success and thank congratulations on, on, on continuing to do it. Uh, it's really great fun to make a podcast. And, it is. Uh, yes, and yes. yeah, That's so congra- congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mike. And now we had the great Mike Duncan speaking to us about podcasting, about future plans, and about our political future in general. Okay, well, one of the nice surprises of A History of Italy, for us at least, has been the popularity of the sketches that you find at the end of some of the episodes. So, to close off the 100th episode, I've had a little interview with one of the protagonists of those sketches, Lucia Lucy Corradi. Hello, Lucy. Hi. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. 
Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.